Welcome to ContenderCast, a leadership conversation centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. This is the ContenderCast. It's Justin Hahnemann. We're shining a light on bright ideas. And today, I will tell you, everyone listening is going to love this conversation. I have got Don Yeager on today. And before I let Don say a word, let me just tell you a little bit about Don. He is an unbelievable leader. He grew up in like the sports editing space, writing space. He's written more than 30 books. He's worked with some amazing people like Walter Payton, John Wooden, John Smoltz, work done in the sports space. And then he's written these amazing history books that you've all heard about on Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, Andrew Jackson. And he's got some amazing leadership content around what makes great teams great. And Don, it is so awesome having you on the podcast. Justin, thank you. Very, uh, very excited Excited to get the chance to uh, to to join you and have uh, and, and have this fun conversation. I totally agree. I, and I love you live in Tallahassee. I mean, that's where I grew up. We've got all these mutual friends. I just I what an know. amazing connection. I mean, so fun. World. All right, so let's dive in. So, Don, you start your career as a writer, right? You're at the Dallas Morning News. You're at the Florida Times Union, and then you pick up as an associate editor of Sports Illustrated, and then you get into kind of writing books. So, talk to us about your career path and how you migrated through those different roles and into kind of the writing, speaking, leadership space. Sure. No, I just it, it really, really quickly, I was, uh, yeah, a daily newspaper journalist. That was what I graduated from college wanting to be, wanting to do, and um, kind of, and I bounced through three newspapers. I loved it. And it was, you know, the opportunity to be actively engaged in San Antonio, Dallas, and then in Florida. Uh, where the reason I moved to Tallahassee is I was the political editor of the ah, newspaper in Jacksonville, Florida, and all the political it. editors of newspapers in Florida live in the state capital, Tallahassee. Of course. So that's where I ended up here 20 plus years ago. And uh, a couple of years later, um, Sports Illustrated uh, had an opening, and they, you know, they only had 30, 30 full time writers in the world at Sports Illustrated. It's a wow. really, really tight, small little community. And and uh, they offered me one of those slots. It was pretty incredible to get to work at the magazine that had been my childhood reading pleasure, right? I mean, Absolutely. I, I think for a lot of us uh, listening, right? Yeah. And I, I mean, it, it was funny and ironic because for many, many years, even when I was not writing sports, uh, if I was asked by someone how to be a better writer, my answer was always... Um, go and read the best writing you can find. And as you're reading it, ask yourself the question, I wonder what they asked, what question they might have asked as a writer that would have led someone to give them that answer. And as you start understanding what great questions are all about, you'll start understanding how great writing comes together. Sports Illustrated was always my model. I used to share that with people that go read Sports Illustrated. And um, so then I get to work there. Uh, it was there for essentially 12 years. And um, during this time period, I'd started writing books. And as you pointed out, I mean, I've written almost 30. I sound really old when you say that. <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, 11 um, of those are New York Times bestsellers. I mean, that's no small thing. I mean, that's amazing. Uh, it, it is crazy. It's, it, there's all crazy numbers when you think about them. Um, but I, uh, in that process, two things happened. One, as I... I, mean, I I love journalism. I love writing. I love answer. I love asking questions. Sure. Uh, but I also love entrepreneurship. So I began the process of buying and owning small businesses and own. Oh, I've wow. owned, I've owned a number of them over the years. I've 
um, in your days in Tallahassee. Well, probably it probably wasn't. I, I owned a comedy club here. I owned a sports bar. I owned, uh, 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 you know, I, I, I've just I've, I owned a scuba diving store. I just wow. love buying and owning businesses. So that, were they kind of like your uh, side hustle? Was that kind of like your side they hustle? Were my side and you hustle. had your day job. Totally got it. Totally my side hustle. I did. Um, I owned almost all of those. Uh, during that window of time that I was at Sports Illustrated for those 12 years. So, and then a decade ago, 10 years ago, Sports Illustrated was going through changes and opportunity came my way to, um, uh, to, to actually um, take an early retirement package and to try something new. I had just become a dad for the first time at, at 45, and I thought, you know what? This is that window of time you, you, you go try something new, and I wanted to learn how to become a public speaker. So I wow. went out and made that my next, uh, my 2.0, 3.0, 4.0, whatever. It I was. love it though. Like your brand. And, right? and next thing you know, I've now I'll do 70 of those corporate speaking events a year all around the world. That is awesome. Um, and working with businesses on learning lessons that I've learned from great winners and great teams uh, in my world, world of sports. Well, so I, I think that's uh, amazing. And, you know, I mentioned at the intro some of the books you've written and, and people that you've written them with. And I'm guessing, and tell me if I'm wrong here, but the people like Walt, the Walter Payton's, the John Smoltz's, the Work Dunn's, the Michael Owers, I mean, like John Wooden's, those may have come through your work at Sports Illustrated, or did how did those relationships evolve and you guys decide, hey, let's write a book together? Yeah, uh, so several of them came... You know, uh, Walter Payton, frankly, um, saw me. I, I mean, I'd known him years earlier, uh, but he saw me on Oprah, and, oh. <laughs> uh, and he, he was dying. He and he knew he wanted to write a book, right? And he knew he only had a limited amount of time, and he wanted to pick somebody he felt comfortable with. And he he saw me on Oprah, and he said, "Gosh, let's reconnect." And that ultimately led to me living with him and writing that book. Um, John Wood and I had a had a mentor mentee relationship where I for twelve years traveled to California to spend a day with him every other month. And, um, uh, and I mean, that process, the concept came up, we should do a book together. And so we did. And so, yeah, all of them kind of come together in different ways, but, but yes, where, where many of them, uh, obviously the, the opportunities uh, became greater because I had the platform at sports. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And so I mean, I can imagine in each of those lessons learned as, as different types of leaders in sports. And as I was doing my homework for the podcast today, I mean, I, what I found interesting was, you know, I expected you to, your, all of your books to kind of be in the sports space, but then you make a turn and in 2013, you know, your bestseller, George Washington's secret six in 2015, Thomas Jefferson and the Tripoli pirates, 2017, Andrew Jackson, the miracle of new Orleans, so, how did you make this? Uh, I'll say turn into uh, the history space. I would love to say it was pure genius. <laughs> I was um, say. That would anybody that would know me would know that wouldn't be true. Um, no, it was. Uh, I had a I had a friend, a guy that I've done that spent some time with over the years, uh, specifically appearing uh, on his uh, television show. A guy by the name of Brian Kilmeade, who um, is a morning anchor at Fox News, and. Um, and and what happened was whatever four or five six years ago seven I don't know how many years ago it was Brian reached out and he said that he wanted to talk about doing a book that he and I and I, you know I wasn't that interested because I I love doing sports books and he said no no this book is um, 
it's about George Washington and the six spies that helped him win the Revolutionary War. And I'm, I majored in history in college, so I loved the concept. I thought it was fun. Um, we did it thinking it would be just a fun, one-time, cool project. Brian, Brian actually lives in the little town that these six spies lived in um, back during Revolutionary War days. So he knew more of the backstory than the average person did. Uh, we did the book. Uh, next thing you know, it sold nearly a million copies, which is a crazy wow. number of books to sell. And the publisher said to us, what do you have next? Right. And I was going to say. We didn't have wow. anything next because we didn't know that one was going to be successful. Sure. And uh, so we, we kind of said, what would be the model? What 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 did people buy? Right. What did they like? Exactly. And and then we went out and kind of found the next story to tell, which was Thomas Jefferson and the pirates, uh, the Tripoli pirates and his battle that created the United States Marines, basically. And then uh, then we rolled it forward two more years and did Andrew Jackson. I think I think the series has kind of run itself out for us. We loved it. We've had a great time. But I think uh, we are. Uh, um, I'm kind of back focused more on my sports books again. So oh, that's great. great. So, uh, not to jump ahead, but what's next? What 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 should we see on the horizon from uh, a writing perspective? Well, right now, right now, I'm. I'm, I'm in the very closing days. So actually this is my one hour break for today. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to finish up a book with uh, Joe Namath. Wow. So, um, yeah, awesome. it's a, it's a fun, uh, you know, it's great to get a chance to be, uh, engaged with people who I find um, fascinating. No question. Well, one of the cool things that I, I think is really interesting about you is, and, and I see a lot of writers that put their thoughts and ideas in books, and you know that's how you consume their content. And occasionally they'll speak, and some of them are maybe great speakers, and some of them are not, and it's not their thing. But I mean, this is also your thing, which is getting out and talking to groups and sharing a lot of the ideas and leadership concepts that have come out of you know your career of working with some extraordinary people and the things you've learned along the way. And in your talk that you give, what makes the great teams great, becoming invaluable without being most valuable, which I think is an amazing bottom line in itself. Share with us, you know, the outline for that and what are some of the the key things that your audience are most interested in or looking for takeaways from that. Our audience is, is hot on leadership. That's part of the reason they listen to those podcasts. I, I highlight people that are doing things in this space. And I think they'd love to hear you know, your version of this speech on the podcast here. Yeah. No, I'll just give you a quick uh, a thumbnail. But I, when I was... Um uh, the, the speech that I developed, and again, I'm, as a speaker, one of the things I learned really early was um, too many people fail by going out and trying to have a speech for every occasion. Right? Ah, go de- okay. Go this is a good lesson a- learned for those of us that are out talking to groups regularly, right? <laughs> yeah. Go develop a speech and become killer at delivering it, right? Be really good at a speech. And so, um, so my, my speech was that I developed right after leaving Sports Illustrated was what are the habits of high performers? What makes the great ones great? Ah, awesome. And, um, and I based it on lessons I've learned from just working with great winners. What did they teach me about pr- pushing yourself to high performance? And I actually wrote a book about that. And so, uh, so did the, did the speech many, many, many times, but one of those <laughs> places that I did it often was for a group of executives at Microsoft. They oh, used me regularly. Interesting. Okay. And one of these executives grabbed me uh, six years ago. It's a Don. We love 
talking about individual high performance, but we want to know why are some teams capable of being uh, annually relevant when other teams rise and fall regularly, right? What, what makes some teams capable of sustained excellence when other teams are, are up and down? So I, I thought, man, that's just too good a, um, too good of a, of a concept to not take off on. So I spent five years, uh, while I was on the road traveling, doing speaking and other things, pulling up and saying, you know, to the San Antonio Spurs and the, and the Golden State Warriors and the, uh, and the, and the women's soccer team at North Carolina is saying to these, these, these teams that win year in and year out, let me come examine you if you'll let, if, if you will, and learn from you and, and try to figure out what is it you do that allows this excellence to become a part of your DNA. And, um, and that led to another book came out two years ago and the speech <laughs> that you're referencing, which sure. is about what makes the great teams great. Why are some teams able to do that? Wow. So the idea from Microsoft can evolve from, hey, you're doing the, not the repetitive speech, but the one, you know, you were just rocking. And that one idea became a seed that cultivated over four or five years and became the next, the next iteration of it. Yeah, absolutely. And so that became that concept. What do I, how can I go study team? And so I did. And what fascinated me was that the best teams want you to come study them because they don't believe they have a corner on the market, right? What they want, what they wanted in exchange was, um, I mean, I had this great, I, uh, one, of, one of my most enjoyable interviews, which anybody that's a college football fan might find this surprising, was with Nick Saban, right? Um, here's this guy who's maybe one of the toughest, you know, but, but as I'm sitting there in his office, I had a, I had a finite amount of time with him. Um, and, and, uh, you know, I, I think it was an hour. And as I'm asking him questions, he's flipping the script and he's going, you know, when you asked that question of John Wooden, what did John Wooden say? Oh, interesting. Uh, you wow. know, when you asked that question of, of Tom Izzo, what did Tom Izzo say? When, sure. when, you know, he wanted to know what other winners were telling me because that's what great winners want to do, right? They sure. want to study other winners. And uh, at the end of the that window of time, he realized that I was frustrated because <laughs> I'd spent more time talking than he did, and that's not a good interview, right? Um, and so he immediately scheduled more time for me because he was grateful that I wasn't just taking, I was giving, right? Which is again, I think another important aspect there. And, um, uh, and so, yeah, at this, uh, five years, 110 of the best team builders in sports, another dozen from the world of business sat down, opened, uh, their kimono and said, you know, let's, let's discuss what it is that we do that works here. And, uh, they, uh, and, and in those discussions, the number one answer that came up, and this is where that keynote address goes, is that the best teams don't just have a sense of purpose. That's a, that's almost an overused phrase these days, right? Sure. Do you know your why, right? Yep, of course. Uh, Simon Sinek. Simon, Simon Sinek, Sinek exactly. And I'm proud of Simon. I love Simon. He's one of my favorite people. And he has made a fortune on, do you know your why? But the best teams don't just know their why, they feel their why. They make it evident to everyone in the organization that what we do matters. And it's one thing for us as leaders to have a sense of purpose. It's one thing for us as leaders to know my work changes the world. But the game changes 
organizationally when your team feels it. If your receptionist can tell you why the organization matters, right? If your uh, if 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 your newest employee can can recite back for you why this team makes a difference when they feel it, they come to work differently. And so the discussion, the lesson that we teach in that speech is how do you get your team to feel it? And I share several examples, but it's that it is conceptually that we as leaders, we as those who want to build, you know relevant organizations need to not just know why we matter, but we need to know how to make our team feel why we matter. All right. Well, let's unpack that because my guess, (laughs) based on my own experience um, before where I work today, by the way, um, and others listening who I I know are sitting here going, well, wait a second. I I don't know that I've even, I could tell you what our organization's mission or vision is, or I you know, I don't know. I know my personal why, like why I'm here and what I'm hoping to accomplish, but the organization is just not clear. So, help our group and myself understand, like how do you, how do you see leaders doing that effectively? In other words, does it start with the point leader, the CEO, the CXO, whatnot, the president, or is it something more that's broader in nature? Or like, how have you seen effective organizations do that? Sure. Let me give you an example. So uh, Medtronic is a medical device company out sure. of Minneapolis. You've probably heard of them. They're the largest in their space. They're, they're considered one of the great companies to work for in all of the United States. And so Bill George, who was the longtime CEO, uh, sat down with me to talk about how do you build an organization that doesn't just multiply in size. In the, in the time that he was CEO, it went from 10,000 employees to 40,000 employees but becomes a great place to work and, and remains that way. How do you build this sense of purpose in an organization that's sprawling and that's rapidly growing? How do you do that? How do you keep it alive? And he shared with me that, one, that a really important piece of their model was that they looked and they said, okay, why do we matter? Well, they matter because they make devices that keep people alive, right? Now, you may say, gosh, all I do is I make develop spreadsheets that help companies make more money, right? You, you may argue that what you do is not relevant. But by the way, most of Medtronic's employees feel the same way. They are in accounts receivable or they're in maintenance, right? They're in, they're in all these places in which they don't really feel that what they do matters sure. to the world. Sure. So what they did at Medtronic under Bill George's leadership was they began an annual event where every uh, week after Thanksgiving every year, they held an event in their corporate offices in Minneapolis. They invited everybody to come, families, everybody. And they brought to the, they brought to the room six families who were held together that day because, of Medtronic, Medtronic, device, devices. because of Medtronic device was keeping wow. one of them alive. And they let the families speak to the employees. Wow. Well, and, and that brings it to year. life, right? It makes it tangible. He said every year, right, every year, uh, a, a young woman would look at the audience and say, thank, thank you, right? Because your product is exactly what you said it would be, my father walked me down the aisle this summer. Wow. Wow. Powerful. He said, you know, at the, end, at the end of the hour, they lined the families up in the back of the room at tables, and each table they had stacks of pictures of their family, and they autographed the pictures like they were rock stars. And those pictures hung all over the building 
for the next year because that's who they're in service of, right? That's who everyone who works at the company is in service of. But what you, but what's interesting about that, about that discussion in, in context of your podcast here is that Medtronic doesn't sell to families. They sell to doctors and hospitals, right? That's who they sell to. Their families are their downstream customers. So to make it work in order to make this sense of feeling come to be within their organization, they had to go out and find the families whose lives have been, have been improved because they do what they do. So that's the point in this is that yes, your, your question, is this a leadership thing? Yeah, it is. Cause if you're not, if, if you as a leader don't care whether your team knows why what you do matters, you're not going to invest that kind of time and effort. Of course not. But if you do, but if you do, they will work for you differently. Yeah, what I like about that is you have the simple portable vision, right? It's it's an easy to understand one sentence, one line. That's what we do. We make devices that save people's lives or whatnot, right? It's not some big massive paragraph that nobody remembers. It's sitting on the wall at the front office. And the second thing I love about that is you you know the brought the vision to life through families that are using the product that are actually consumers of the device that are, or whose lives have been saved and have been prolonged. I mean that's pretty amazing in terms of like vision you, sticking. But but here's here's the problem for most of us is that we stop in the first half of that conversation, we come up with a, a, a pissy <laughs> single sentence, right. right? Which is, here's what we do, right? Because that's the whole start with why concept, right? What is your why? We pissy, we come up with this really great little collection of, you know, 12 words that says to the world, here's what we do. Um, and we put it on the wall. It's on our website. It's all over the place. But, but we don't ever bring it to life. And that's where it makes a difference. When you do that, when you do that, you change the dynamic of your team. Wow. I love that. Well, and so that, that's, I think that's a great lesson, obviously, from your, the message around what makes great teams great. What would be one or two other kind of key things you saw as you were doing the, the visits and assessments with these different teams, these different leaders, and, and as you were really looking at what, what is it that drives them and makes them great? Well, another one is that the best teams have a mentoring culture. Not Interesting. A program, okay. Right, not a mentoring program. Right. We have a mentoring program, so we can check that box, right? right? But, yeah. but right. I'm talking about a mentoring culture, which means that we value, uh, we celebrate, we appreciate people who invest in other people, right? And we encourage that. Um, and when you create that culture, when the culture of your organization becomes one in which People want to give to each other. We want to make other people better. I am not worried that you're going to take my job from me. I'm not worried that you're going to make me feel old and obsolete. Um, I, what I'm more worried about is that is that if I can pour into you, I will make us better. When you create that kind of culture, and the best teams have it, right? No question. Where, where, where people are pouring into the lives of other people, and it doesn't. It's not an old thing. Sometimes it's a young old thing, right? Sometimes sure. I, I've got young people that work for me who are teaching me things about technology all the time. <laughs> right. um, but but it's because in our in in my business the, the the employees that I have we we value the idea that that we we have we have a learning culture and we have a mentoring culture. We 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 want people to say I don't I may have done it but I don't know it I, I don't know it all and there's there's something to learn today. So that's, that's one mentoring culture. Um, you know, I would tell you, I, I, I think, you know, if I'm just trying to think through my, think through my list, I, I know that 
another one that would really stand out to me is that that ability to um, see value that others miss. We're in a real we're in a world today where everybody has a metric, has the has the ability to measure um, something, you know, through metrics, and um, uh, and so that how do we? But but unfortunately, we are we're all looking sometimes at the same spreadsheet and seeing the same numbers. The really great ones are asking the question. I wonder what's behind that. I wonder right. what. They're beyond the numbers, value. They're looking for something beyond beyond what everybody else is seeing, and the best ones have that have that um, open mindedness that allows that to come to life for them. In a way, I, I mean, you know, to use a sporting analogy, the Moneyball theory, right? It's it's the it's the Billy Bean ability to say everybody else sees batting average as the number you have to study in order to decide whether somebody is any good in baseball. I, I really want to, I really want to look and see how often do they get to first base, right? I don't care how they get there. And, and so he looked at everybody else has a vision for what the numbers needed to tell him. And he had a different vision and that different vision allowed him to not just become really successful, but, Hey, they made a movie out of them. Come on. Awesome, <laughs> exactly. Right? Exactly. Right. Wow. Well, I, and I know we could probably go down the list of all of these and, and anybody listening could go out and grab your books as well. So, um, but I think one of the, my children, yeah. my children would be very grateful if they would do that. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> I love that. Um, all right. So Don, I mean, I, this is so great. I mean, like literally we could keep going for like an hour or two, but, um, I know we can't do that. So, how can our audience find you? How can they engage with you? How can they come hear you? How can they find your content and, and get you involved with their organization? Share that with our audience. Well, gosh. I, uh, um, so, the easiest way is just obviously the, the old, good old fashioned website, donyeager.com. And, um, and, and while my last name is Y A E G E R D O N Y A E G E R.com. Um, I know that a lot of people spell it wrong, so they spell it Y-E-A. So I own that website. You own that one too. <laughs> so, yeah. That's good. And that's what you, you it, will, it will direct you to the right one. Oh, that's so funny. spell it any way you want. Uh, <laughs> but when you get there, uh, you know, one of the things we try to do, we try to do a lot of free content. So I have, there's tons on there that from videos and to, I, I send out a quote a day to 100,000 people wow. every day. I send out. Wow. It's not my, I, I've, I've been collecting quotes since I was a kid because I think there's so many amazing people out there who have given their wisdom in two sentences or less that I should always be looking for them. So I have a quote every day from someone that I share. That's awesome. And um, uh, 100,000 people get it. Um, I have, a, a, I do a blog for Forbes. Um, I do. So there's plenty of ways that if they come there, they can engage. And I would love it if anybody had an interest uh, or an opportunity for us to be able to do that. That's awesome. That's so great. Well, Don, it has been so much fun having you on the podcast. I'm so excited about your content and I, I can't wait to leverage some of these ideas. And I'm going to send you a quote. I'm going to send you my one quote for you when this thing goes live. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And you and don't be surprised if you uh, if that quote comes back to you one of these days and somebody else is going to get to you. That'd be awesome. I love it. Well, hey, Don, thanks so much for jumping on the podcast. I'm honored. Thank you. The Contender Cast is powered by Symmetrics Group and the Bunnell Idea Group. 
You can download additional ContenderCast episodes directly via the Apple iTunes App Store, the Google Play Store, Spotify, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the ContenderCast, connect with us at contenderbrands.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender. Contender.